Welcome to the Branching Path Podcast, episode 8. Happy Spooky Month, everyone. I am your host, spooky. Kyle. <laughs> Joined by fellow spooky host, John. John, before you, you speak up there, I've got some news here. So, I, I should mention, John is a disgraced philanthropist because there are reports here that say the penis reduction surgery charity fund that he was donating to was discovered to be a front that he was using to embezzle money. Um, I mean, that, that already, it's a pretty bold claim, but I was like, okay, I mean, maybe they're just trying to slander my good man, John, but unfortunately there's further evidence here. Further bolstering these claims, it's also here in the reporting that your penis is actually an any John, so you never would have even qualified to have the reduction surgery in the first place. Um, did you want to respond to those allegations at all today? Uh, I'm going to throw my fall guy, David, <laughs> under the uh, bus here. <laughs> This makes a lot of sense. Keep going. He was my penis model for <laughs> qualifying for this. And also in, in, regarding the embezzlement, um, check your bank statements because I gave you some money. <laughs> oh, so what you're saying is... It's all true. It's, it's all true. <laughs> and I roped you into it. So you're fucked too. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, for the record though, I do not have an any. David does, apparently. <laughs> Uh, very good. Uh, Sorry, Dave. On. <laughs> uh, today's podcast will probably not be spooky in theme at all, aside from that intro. So I'm sorry if you were expecting some spooky game talk. We, well, I guess, actually, that's not true. You've been playing Grim Dawn, so there will be a little bit of spooky game talk later on. But, this is true. Um, for starters, I'm gonna I'm gonna whinge a little bit about Kenna or Kena, as she says it in the game, which I can never ever make my brain want to say. Um, I finished uh, Kenna Bridge of Spirits a couple weeks ago, or shortly after we finished last podcast, actually. Um, on the whole, I was pretty happy with the game. It, it's 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 a well-made game, an incredible like first game from that studio, although I think they do have a number of um, veteran game devs on that team, but as the studio, it's their first game anyways. And, and it really is very good, beautiful to look at, great presentation. The music I was saying last time we talked, because I was... I was pressure into it that it it seemed like it was going to be like a proper soundtrack it wasn't just going to be incidental music and stuff sadly it was more incidental music than not in the end although i did like a lot of the instrumentation for the the game it really suited the atmosphere quite well so i still say as, as a whole like sound design was great the the visuals are great the animations are amazing the game plays very very well um and i'm going to talk a little bit about difficulty again in this podcast with with kenna as our backdrop too because kenna has challenges throughout the game in just like the normal combat scenarios which are hard but still fun to overcome and even if i died at them i don't think i ever swore at the tv which is a good indicator that i'm having fun (laughs) um but the bosses in kenna are fucked right up like they they are shockingly difficult considering the rest of the game, like the whole package. And I was thinking, because they're like Dark Souls level of difficulty. They're really fucking hard. Um, on, on normal mode, I was getting steamrolled. Like, like, And it's not that I couldn't have beaten them. I know that if I'd put in the time to like figure out the patterns and, and like get it down, I could have done it. Um, and if it was a Souls game, I would have done it, right? I mean, one, I wouldn't have had another option um, because there is no difficulty setting. Uh, but two, I, I expect that from a Souls game, right? In Kenna, my expectation really played a big role in how I encountered and, and interacted with those big difficulty spikes, and, and I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as I would in like a Souls game, for example. 
And I, th I think that's just because, one, personally, I think the tuning is not fantastic. I think that those bosses are way over-tuned, especially considering, again, I was playing on normal mode. I wasn't, like, trying to balls to the wall this thing. Um, and I was getting fucking smoked. And, you know, I'm not, I'm pretty good at games, all right? Not to rub my, my dick God, here. Oh, my God, here he goes. Here he goes again. Yeah, pretty, pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I ain't your grandma. I ain't your grandma's Sunday brunch when it comes to games. That's a classic saying. People know what that means. <laughs> Um, it is now. So, anyways, <laughs> the uh, the bosses were fucked. Like, I I got to the I ended up actually turning the difficulty down to story mode because I was just not interested in in that challenge. <laughs> just considering the whole package, and I was like, I could I could sit here for you know half an hour and, and figure this out and get it down, but like, it's just the game didn't foster that that attitude in me. I guess where Dark Souls does. Um, so just to kind of talk about difficulty for a second here. One, I can I can hear the people who want, you know, easy, moderate, normal, hard, extra hard difficulty settings in every single game under the sun typing away at their keyboards because, like, oh, you changed the difficulty, see? If it wasn't for that, you might not have, like, finished Kenna. Um, and that's actually true. I might not have finished Kenna, or at least, I, you know, it might have taken me longer, and I probably would have taken a break if not for the ability to just tune it down and just kind of you know steamroll through and finish the story because i wanted to um but my argument is that doing that felt bad i hated it i hate the way it feels when i have to make the decision or not have to but when i choose to make the decision to kind of change that difficulty myself um and it's because it, in my opinion difficulty tuning is one of the many you know crafts that a game dev has to like you know deliver on it's one of the reasons the Souls games are so good, right? They're not just this mindless you know, smash your head against the wall until you figure it out kind of experience. Like, there's a lot of intention there. Like, so much intention. And anybody who gives a fair bit of time to the Souls series starts to see that, right? If they engage with it honestly and on its terms, it doesn't take long before you realize, like, one, oh, these games aren't as hard as everybody thinks they are. Like, you just need to kind of understand what they expect of you. Um, and two, they, they just do a really good job of delivering on that front. And, and the difficulty is always, almost always, I shouldn't say always. Of course, the Souls games have their, you know, bosses and stuff, which are kind of bullshit. And no game's perfect, but they're among the best, in my opinion, at, at this, in this genre of, of these kind of intentionally quite challenging games, but, but making it feel worth your while. Kenna just, just didn't, didn't get me ready for that. It's, I don't know how to, it's, I don't know if I'm articulating this well enough. Is that coming across at all, John? Like... The, the presentation of the game just didn't mesh with this now fucking insane ass rapey boss that was destroying me <laughs> so I'm assuming the areas around the bosses are not challenging then yeah I shouldn't say not challenging there is some challenge to like some of the, the encounters um, although by the end of the game I was getting pretty comfortable with the different enemy types and so yeah I was getting quite a bit easier and I had more abilities and stuff too um but, but the, the like, it, it's just a huge difference. Like getting from finishing the area to getting to the boss, like night and day, gameplay wise. Like it, it was almost like I had fucking put in a different video game, and it was like, yeah, it was it was it was messed up. The the last boss really broke me. I was like, holy fucking shit! <laughs> no fucking way am I gonna do this on normal mode. So I, I kicked it down to story mode. But jeez. Um, anyways, I did see this complaint a lot from from people on on Twitter that. Uh, that were also big, like, you know, Souls games fans. I hate to always use that as the barometer for 
how quote-unquote good I am at video games, but I feel like it's kind of an apt benchmark for, for what level of difficulty I'm happy to tolerate. Um, and yeah, I saw a lot of fellow Souls fans saying like, yo guys, uh, these bosses are kicking my ass, what the hell's going on? It, just because the rest of the game is so... It's a lot more kind of exploration and adventure-based anyways. And very, very cutesy in its presentation too, so... Yeah, it's a bit it's a bit shocking. I, I kind of, in my opinion, think Ember Lab dropped the ball a bit on the tuning for the bosses. I think they could have kept them the same mechanically, and and just it just needs a little bit more attention with like the damage that they do to you and the damage that they take from you. Like it's it's simple as that. They just they're too punishing. It was it was disappointing. Um, I, I would hate to imagine them on the highest difficulty then. Well, no, like there's a difficulty you unlock when you beat the game. So it's two difficulties above normal yet. I, I can't even imagine what that would be like because the difficulty from normal to story mode was a huge jump because that was the other thing, right? Was The boss was kicking my asshole on normal. I went to story mode and then I kind of made like short work of it. It was kind of a joke. And it was all because of the, the, the numbers, right? I was taking way less damage when I got hit and I was just doing more damage when I hit him, which, which I don't know. It's just not a fun way to... Do the movesets change or is it all just... Number no, one. for this one, I, as far as I could tell, it really was just uh, just numbers. Mm, that, that, that's unfortunate. I would I would expect normal mode to be the experience the developer intends, and everything else See, around this, exactly. it is, and, is yes. kind of you know, fluff. But if it's and maybe the tuning for bosses was done by a different developer as opposed to like the areas around them. Maybe. Um, thank you like for really saying really hardcore developer. into Devil May Cry or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's like a weird, you know, real-life masochist who staples his arm all day long, and he's just, he's like, I need to feel pain. So, yeah, he, he brought that into his game dev philosophy. Thank you for saying uh, developer intended experience. This is, what, this is what I wanted to talk about with difficulty settings again today. Um, and, and again, I just wanted to reiterate that I'm not opposed to, to difficulty settings on in principle. Like, I, I played Ken. I did not play it because it had that option. I was disappointed to see it. Um, but... What I want from a game is the developer intended experience, and I want the the fine art of difficulty tuning to be part of that. I want them to have taken that into account. We think this is the optimal difficulty to have the most fun with this product, and to like this is how we want you to engage with it. Basically, um, now of course you can make the argument that that devs can make mistakes there, right? Or, or they actually make mistakes is a, is a strong word. But for me personally, maybe normal mode was the developer intended experience and I just didn't enjoy it. Of course, I would argue that maybe they didn't do a fantastic job of the tuning. Um, but of course, there's a lot of personal preference here too. So, so there might be a bit of, you know, you have to fight between sacrificing your, your vision of the product, I guess, and, and, you know, making it something that's still enjoyable for as many people as, as possible while not compromising too much. But anyways, I, I think that kind of does a pretty bad job of that tuning. But what I what I am less bothered by is when a game has kind of two options. One, normal mode. This is just the game, unaltered. This is how we intended you to play it difficulty-wise. And if you're struggling, here is this, we'll call it a story mode, for example. So basically you have two different options. I find Hades is a really good example of this, actually, because they did it very interestingly, but... This general idea, I think, works well. And, and it wouldn't bother me as much because it didn't bother me at all for Hades. In Hades, there's something called God Mode. And if you turn that on, every time you die in that game, you get a bit of a, a stat boost. 
So the more you fail, the stronger you get until you get to a point where basically the game becomes, you know, easy enough that you can you can finish it. That's a really cool, you know, um, like fluid way to change the difficulty because every time you die, it's it's making it a little bit easier for you. So it's almost like you're you're fine tuning the difficulty by playing the game as opposed to having to go into a menu and change the difficulty setting until you feel like it, it it's fair now or something like that. Um, but but a version of that I just find kind of less offensive. Here's the normal mode of the game, which is how I experienced Hades, and I just never touched the god mode toggle because I didn't feel that I needed it and I didn't want to. But then it's still there for people who just kind of want to experience your game and not get held back by difficulty spikes, especially bosses are always an issue, right? It's always, like Dark Souls bosses is what people get stuck on for the most part. It's not getting through the areas as much. So, yeah. Anyways, I, I've, I've said a lot on that. Do you have any any new, interesting, super insightful things to say on difficulty, John? Well, I'm a little preoccupied by the whole uh, penis reduction lawsuit, but <laughs> sure I can offer something. <laughs> Once again, sorry, Dave. <laughs> um, for, for, for what you said about Hades and, and the God Mode, I'm still not a fan, personally. Um, I think difficulty to me sometimes feels like the developers want one game to appeal to everyone which isn't going to happen anyway um, right for, for Hades you know failing is part of the game failing a lot is part of the game the design of the game incorporates that in beautifully you're gonna die yeah over and over again until you understand the game well enough and you can play the game well enough that you can get through it um, yeah. I was frustrated sometimes in that game, 100%, but I still had a great time with it for the most part. Um, I know I, I'm a little foggy on it, but when you and I were talking about it when it first came out, I definitely had some complaints. But um, Dark Souls is, is the same. Like, dying is part of it. It's marketed as being a difficult game where you'll die a lot, and you're going to to, to, you're gonna have to learn. You're going to have to improve to get through the game. That you could say is the developer intended experience. I feel like with a game like Kena, um, I don't know anything about it, but from what you've told me and what you've shown me, um, it seems, and even even the fact that it's coming from a developer um, that is made up of a lot of animation studio people, right? Yep. A lot of experience in the animation industry. I feel like, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is the story very important to this game? Yeah, it's still, like, it's not, like, a super... It doesn't say a lot. This is something I liked about it when we talked about it last time. It's not a super strong, like, heavy heavy narrative experience. It really is mostly gameplay. Um, but then that story is, is told elegantly. Um, and yeah, elegantly. I w- I, yeah, I wouldn't even say as in, ter- in terms of, like, delivering dialogue or exposition, but, like, you're, you're meant to feel something while you're going through this, right? Definitely, yes, yes. So, so throwing these roadblock bosses in the way seems out of left field just hearing it from you like um the world they've built and and whatnot didn't prepare you for it so it it's it's kind of bad <laughs> yeah no that, that's that's i mean yeah the difficulty should serve something right and, and you're right like souls games are a good example of it it's literally baked into the lore and it, it just i don't know you're never like i'm i was i've never been as upset dying in a souls game as i have in like an old traditional rpg or something right 
Like sure. I just in Souls, I just expect it. It's part of it. And yeah, maybe I mean Hades too. Hades, just to quickly talk about one thing I loved about that game and, and how it took the roguelike genre and failure and actually turned it into something exciting. I was never that upset to lose a run because I was gonna have new dialogue and story with basically every character in in hades so i was going right. to talk to achilles and expand his dialogue and yeah. maybe give him give him some of that ambrosia drink to increase my relationship like there was so much to do in that hub world and it was accessible only through either finishing the run or just dying uh so every time i died it was like ah oh, damn oh well at least i get to go do all this fun character stuff and the writing in hades is also fucking amazing so good like just incredibly well done oh yeah definitely so, Anyways, yeah, yeah, uh, you're the, right. I think that this difficulty has to have has to serve a purpose. Yeah, that, that point I'm I'm like poorly trying to drive at is is Kana is about Kane this Kana character's journey through this game world and, and whatever happens in the story, I'm not sure. But I feel like the boss fights should have been should be presented as like her challenge to overcome, not so much the player. Whereas in a mm, game like and, and the same for Hades, honestly, it's the the game is set up around like that that's that's his, um what's his name Zagreus that's yeah. that's that's his trial right his his dad Hades doesn't want him to leave uh, Megara and all the other characters like that they are trying to prevent him he's going to die and respawn many times it's it's his thing to overcome whereas it seems like Kana went from this cool experience to like suddenly a, a gamey quote-unquote gamey game you know what i mean that's no actually i think that's a really good way to put it john when you when you said like it's it's it, those moments should be you feeling kana's struggle but in the end the rest of the game is that and then you get to the bosses and suddenly yeah it feels very gamey because now it's like oh shit i need to fucking be a god right now <laughs> and it's <laughs> a very big very big shift in tone and, and yeah just feeling when you're playing the game you, you yeah, said yeah. it very well and I know the stuff you play in, like, you're, you don't shy away from the challenging in, in a game. So hearing you say this is, like, really fucking hard. It makes me very curious about it. You should, I'd love to, yeah, well, when you, when you finally get around to trying out a PS5, um, you should try try some of the Kana bosses. I'll try and get you to one so you can see it at some point. I'll put it on Super Master Hard Mode so you get just utterly humbled. But anyways, um <laughs> Kena as a whole, still a good game. I think if I had to give it like a number score, I'm probably around a seven or so. Um, very much, I think it's very much worth your time. Uh, the bosses are, are a big kind of drawback for me personally. They they, they are the the big error in execution. Did um, it start? Game, but did it start higher than a seven for you? Yes, definitely. Okay. Just drop down as isn't as, as, did it lose a point or two strictly because of the it, bosses it, or is there it lost it lost a point for me probably because of the bosses okay yeah so like, I, I probably would have ended up at an eight like it, it's it's good it's still not like a masterpiece it, it's very good though um but the bosses I, I can't not take a point off for the bosses <laughs> it's it's too much right. too much <laughs> it's too much spoke um there's a there's a how about your mother joke where Ted and the crew are like playing poker with a bunch of shady characters, and and Ted's addressing all of the the people one by one with like a nickname like, you know, eye patch guy or you know, scarred face guy or whatever. And then he gets to this one guy who has like, he has like an eye patch and a scar and a dog and his hair is all weird, and he's like, I don't know what to call you. You've got too many things. You should only be able to have one thing. 
Anyway, so, so too many things is always shorthand for that scene in How Met Your Mother. Um, anyways, too many things. All right, uh, that's it for Kena. I'm going to shut up about it. I'll probably never talk about it again. No, I'm kidding. It, it was good. I'm, I'm glad I played it, and I'm, I'm really excited for Ember Lab to do some more stuff. I, I think that they will have done well enough with this project that this will not be the death of the studio, that they should be able to make some more stuff. And they, sh they should. Like They definitely deserve investment. Um, I, think, I think if Sony was smart, they would add them to the long list of studios they're buying up right now. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see what they'll do with more experience and more resources. Well, if they get bought up, hopefully that doesn't mean they lose whatever makes them unique. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. I think, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. There's an argument here for, for studios being bought up by these larger publishers, right? Because it gives them resources, which is great, um, and it gives them security, which is great. But how much of their independence does it take away? Yeah, like I, we're definitely not privy to that. But hopefully there's nothing but good things for them because from what I'm reading and what you've told me that it's nice to have another studio capable of putting this kind of thing out. Yeah, exactly. And who is willing to try some, some new stuff. Yeah, I mean, that is the other thing. I, I have to give them credit. Like, they decided to go with a you know a character-driven 3D action platformer. Um, it almost felt like a you know, throwback to the PS2 days of like the Jack and Daxters and the Ratchet and Clanks and stuff. Um, but their own take on it. And it was great. So yeah. It's just nice yeah, to see a new IP, like new yeah, character, that, new yeah. world. <laughs> True enough. It was. Yeah. Um, yeah. John, you you and I got together in real. We did. Yeah. In and the real. after we did the thing that we always do when we get together in real, we played some games. And we played uh, Crystalis. That's right. If you were a true fan of the show, you'd have gone to the Twitter and seen me tweet about it. Uh, anyways, uh, we Crystalis. I think I mentioned it when, when Jake was on the podcast as like a negative gaming moment for me because I had basically gotten to the end of the game, and then deleted my save file in like a rush to save the game because it was very easy to do so. And then I cried. And my mom made fun of me. Um, so Crystalis <laughs> has been on my list of, of games to beat for a long time, and we beat it uh, a couple weekends ago. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah, John, was it the best game you've ever played? Best game, best story, best gameplay. Best, oh, story, so good, the story. Best graphics. Best graphics, <laughs> easy, easy to say that. I was, a little, I was a little worried I didn't have the hardware to run it, but <laughs> yeah, it was fine. We have the strongest console, the Switch, and that's where we play yeah, it. Yeah, we, so. we, we played it on the strongest console, the Switch, um, <laughs> which John had modded out and, and tied to the, the power supply of the city that he lives in. So he actually we drew power from the entire city to power Crystalis because it's so graphically demanding. And the city was fine to that's, that that's power right. for a little bit. That's right. Yeah, so it was good. That's um, exactly what happened. Let, yeah. I have a hard time turning off, like, the the, the bullshit valve, you know what I mean? Like, I, I have to, like, consciously be like, okay, stop fucking talking out of your ass for a second. And, and be that's because you, if you and I are together, we'll do that for, like, an hour and a half. Yes, that was true. Yeah, well, that's what, I mean, the podcasts are usually an hour and a half, so that works so perfectly. There we go. Um, <laughs> Chrysalis was good. Uh, I like when we when we started playing the game. I know I, I think you were too, but I was definitely really positive on it, and kind of blown away from a lot of like perspectives just because of how old the game is and how much it did and tried to do back in that that age. Yeah, for sure. Um, but as we played it more and more, it, there, there were some things that started to get a little bit grating, and and difficulty. Especially like boss encounters was, I'd say, the number one thing. 
let's let's start with the good for once. <laughs> okay, let's start with the good. Let's start hey, with John. The go. Good. Why don't Why don't you just go on a go on a rant about the best of Crystalis? Well, we already established best graphics. Um, <laughs> now it it still handles really well. Um, one frustration is the only attack you have is a forward stab, but moving the character around, especially on a, a modern controller, because we were playing it on the Switch as a Nintendo service, um, so you're able to move your character via the analog, and it just feels really smooth. Um, so the the um, four-direction stab is, is a little less limiting, because it just feels nice to move on an analog. Um, but it still handles really well, charging up your elemental swords and getting those cool attacks. Get, just finding those things is fun. Um, yeah. It is still charming graphically. Uh, I mean, we're a little more forgiving of a game like this, given how old it is. Um, <laughs> you can't expect that much out of a Game Boy Color title. Um, yeah. But it, it still holds. Like, I, I don't visit that. If I played an indie game today that looked like that and played well and it was fun, you know, I, I wouldn't hold that against it. So uh, I still think it actually looks pretty good. Yeah, no, I mean, it has the benefit of being like a 2D sprite work game, right? And it, it's mm -hmm. 8-bit. Uh, but it looks pretty good for 8-bit. Usually I, I'm much more of a 16-bit era guy myself, like this NES kind of style of, of, uh, of spriting. But yeah, this sure. like I think Crystal still holds up totally from a visual standpoint, despite the you know color palette limitations and stuff like that. Yeah, um, the world design was decent. Um, some frustrated, given the era it's from, there's no map, which sucked very much in some areas but <laughs> yes oh my god yes oh yeah that was the yeah, the, the game yeah we'll talk about the, the dungeons and the mazes but yeah we'll come back to that uh yeah i just i had a good time with it um despite the frustrations i still remember it pretty fondly so um i think it holds up you should definitely check it out if you have access to it yeah we, we so we played it on the switch virtual or i don't know what you call it just like the nintendo online service and it's it's originally an nes game so we played the the nintendo entertainment system version of the game but it, it did also release on the game Boy color with yep. some some mild differences um yeah it, like it was it was a surprisingly fun ambitious game it had like so i think a lot of games took inspiration from this that we probably don't even realize because of how much it did and, and how well it did those things. For one, it had experience and leveling up. It had stats, like you had strength and defense, which was affected by the armor you had equipped, um, uh, the different elemental swords, which had different attack animations, enemy weaknesses to those different elements that you had to constantly take into account, um, The how kind of, <laughs> this sounds silly to say, but open world it was. Like It's a pretty big world to explore, all things considered. Um, yeah, I mean, we beat it in could, one sitting, but for it, for a Game Boy or a NES title, it's yeah, it's pretty, it's a decent size. Yeah, and the only reason that we beat it in one sitting, so this is kind of a negative here, but we did abuse the fuck out of save states. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, I, I, I would not recommend playing this game without access to save states. I think you'll have a terrible time by the end. Um, the the game like. The bosses are just really rapid fire. They move super quick. They fucking destroy your health pool. So, it, like, it, sometimes they can just feel like the cheapest deaths in the world. You had no time to react almost. So, safe dates are nice for that. And it can be quite a while before you've been able to actually save the game properly. So, you could end up losing quite a bit. Um, the other thing is that the, a lot of the dungeons in the game, especially later on, 
get very, very mazy. And without having a map, it's like next to impossible to know where you are sometimes. Um, I, I really, one of the things that shocked me the most playing this game again was that I ever got to the end. I, I, I can't believe, I almost doubt myself, which is, which is <laughs> difficult to say. But I, I almost can't believe that as a child, I was tenacious enough to actually get to the end of this game. But I did see enough things along the way that I kind of had vague memories of uh, that, that make me think I did actually get to the end of the game. What, here's what really hurts, though. So you're collecting these four elemental swords as you go through the game. You're upgrading them with first an orb to give you their level 2 charge attack and then a bracelet to give you their level 3 charge attack. Um, lightning sword is the best. Fucking hands down, sword so dope. good, so good. Um, but you're you're collecting these four swords to then combine into the sword called the chrysalis, which is the best sword. Um, and I remember as a child getting the chrysalis, and it happens in this cool like futuristic tower. I remember all this, so so I my memories of that are vivid enough that I'm pretty sure I, it did actually happen, and I did get that far. What's fucked up though is when I got the chrysalis is when I saved the game, and also deleted that game. Well, you're which is right able, at the end. Which is literally at the end. We, there's only one more boss to fight right past that save point. So I was there. Man, that hurts. Like it, yeah. I, I oh, fuck, fuck. Poor this kid. Is, if it, only he'd known. It's actually really funny though, because you were at the fun. But it's just because of the Mylundra two story. Because you were at the final boss. <laughs> like, yeah. It, yeah, it's really the same story. We deleted saves at the final boss. That's fucking yeah. Yeah, which is fucking brutal. John, I actually meant to mention to you, I think that you and I should do an Alundra 2 playthrough together. Are you being facetious right now? No, I'm dead serious. Dead serious? Yeah, because I, I have the game. I have the physical game. I would be down to revisit that. I, I think I think if we did it together, we could get through some of the roughness um, and, and maybe enjoy it. Plus, we, we beat Chrysalis for me. I think we need to finish Alundra 2 for you. Oh, all right. We're, we'll do it. It only seems fair because I was able it. to put that to put that beast to bed. We've got to calm your beast down. Still, <laughs> I'm not talking about your enormous schween, but <laughs> <laughs> well, we've established it's not. But yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, Chrysalis. It was fun. It, it, I, there's some tweets about it. We posted the final like the end title screen. So for uh, for all eternity, the internet will. We'll have proof that we we finished Chrysalis. Um, yeah, play it, play it if you want kind of a cool action adventure game from the the NES era, which is surprisingly decent. Um, we also on a whim started up Breath of Fire two the the next day, and I think we probably put like close to five hours. It was four or five hours in the game. Yeah, decent chunk of time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd never played Breath of Fire two. I've played a little bit of three before that, and I think maybe like two seconds of Breath of Fire one. Uh, I don't have a ton of experience with the series, but it's a it's a pretty beloved um, JRPG series from back in the day. It never quite rose to the same heights as like your Final Fantasies or your Dragon Quest, for example. But yeah, de- definitely still quality stuff. And, and Breath of Fire Two really impressed me, um, especially on like the quality of the animations and stuff like that. Yeah, it still hold like graphically, it still holds up really well. And there's just pixel art just ages really well. Yeah, um, I mean the the lesson the lesson is always that pixel art is the best the best thing to do to stand the test of time. I, I, oh, <laughs> as someone what? learning three D, that hurts. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, but I know you agree. 
<laughs> I definitely do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, not to turn this into a episode about this, but Wind Waker, for example, still looks fucking beautiful. So. Sure. Sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think yeah. Maybe the argument here is not that pixel art is king, but but that a strong sense of art direction can can really make your game stand the test of time. Where sure. always going for like the cutting edge of, of graphical fidelity might not hold up the same way. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I have more experience with the series than you. Um, when Jake and I were kids, we rented Breath of Fire One for the SNES. We had a great time with that. We we never finished because it was pretty challenging. But um, after that, we we couldn't get our hands on two at the time, so. Um, it wasn't until much later I played too, and I never got anywhere as near as far as we, we and I just did together. So that's the most Great. I've seen of the game so far. Um, beaten three and beaten a large chunk of four, but yeah, like graphically, it still held up pretty well. Um, the gameplay was decent; it wasn't great, but and the writing and you can go into this about the translation, but the writing was kind of shit. Yeah, I, I did a little bit of research on this um, just because I was curious. One of my one of my big life projects is is I'm learning Japanese right now and have been for about six months. And one of my goals is to to go play some old like PS1 or even SNES RPGs in their original Japanese to see if like there's a huge gulf in, in quality of writing between the two. Uh, especially for a game... Actually, the game that really kicked this off for me was Legend of Dragoon on the PS1. I played it early on in the pandemic when I wasn't doing anything because we were all shut down. And I loved the game, but the translation is really atrocious. Like, just so, so bad. Um, and the, the story in that game starts to get pretty wild and out there. And I'm not opposed to like a complicated, kind of crazy twist and turn story as far as JRPGs go, but... The presentation and the way it was it was portrayed and, and and spoken was really bad. So it made me it made me think there must be there must be a, a, a nugget of quality in here. If only I could read the original Japanese script. So anyways, so I ended up looking at Breath of Fire 2 because I was curious if anybody had any opinions on it. And apparently, it's notoriously one of the worst you know translations as far as JRPG scripts uh, into English. There's a website that, that's entirely dedicated to looking at. Uh, localizations um, into English and they also do, do the reverse he looks at localizations into Japanese from English as well uh, oh, nice. I, I hate to say that I don't remember the name of the website so I'm sorry to that person um, but uh, it was really cool and he went into great great detail about all the different ways in which Breath of Fire 2's translation is absolutely terrible um, there is a fan uh, a fan translation somewhere available on the internet now so if you're going to play Breath of Fire 2 I, I'd highly recommend looking into that uh, fan translation patch when I revisit that, I definitely want to, to do that because some of the party member introductions and little bits of story context you get were, were pretty bad. Yeah, I do have a feeling that a good translation isn't going to save the, the horny monkey character introduction per se, but <laughs> maybe, maybe some other ones. <laughs> you never know, Kyle. <laughs> He's that, that cliche horny monkey character, silly Japanese people. In the original Japanese, he's trying to steal life-saving medicine. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, would be a hell of a twist. <laughs> he's trying to pickpocket them. He's not flirting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's, yeah, that'd be really funny to find out. Um, anyways, on the back of Breath of Fire 2, 
I was really charmed by it, and I decided that I was going to go back and, and it was time to revisit some old PS1 RPGs again. I've mentioned a couple times I'm watching Epic Name Bro play through Lunar on the on Twitch right now, and that's also been inspiring me to go back and, and get some of the nostalgic goodness from some old PS1 RPGs. So I decided, or, sorry, decided to start uh, Breath of Fire 3, which is a game I've played before. Uh, I'm almost at the point that I got to last time before I quit, actually, and I'm enjoying it more this time. Um, one of the things Breath of Fire 3 does is it starts the game with you as a child, and then I think somewhere around halfway, it might be a little bit before that, you, your character actually grows up and you, you age into probably like a, a late teen or something like that, and your, your sprite changes and everything like that. Uh, a couple of your characters actually end up aging like that. And it's really cool, and I always thought that the sprite work for that older version of Ryu looked so awesome. So then when I started playing Breath of Fire 3 back in the day, I remember being quite disappointed at just how long I was this little baby version of him. Um, but the the scenario writing for the game is like really strong. Uh, it has these great little like narrative arcs. I'm in the middle of something called the Balio and Sunder saga, where these two giant unicorn people. Breath of Fire has a lot of cool races, and one of them is this weird muscular unicorn. Um, anyways, these two giant unicorn guys are, are kind of on my tail and totally fucking my shit up everywhere we go. Uh, but it, it's written surprisingly well. Like it's, it's a super capable story so far. Um, they've done a decent little bit of, of foreshadowing into a character that's probably going to turn on me. Uh, overall, it's just like the, the, the storytelling craft is leaps and bounds above Tales of Arise, which I'm going to use as my barometer for this till the day I die, because that game <laughs> pissed me off. Um, so anyways, overall, I'm, I'm really quite enjoying myself. Uh, the encounter rate is probably the worst part of the game. There's too many fights. God, why do they do this with old RPGs? Too many fights. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, it's, it's, it's quite good. And I'm, I'm really hoping to finish it. My, my goal, and the listeners can hold me to this, is to play Beth, Breath of Fire 3, uh, then Breath of Fire 4, which is like one of the prettiest sprite-based games ever. Game looks amazing to this day. And yeah. I've really not touched it at all, so I'm quite excited for that one. Then to try um, Grandia 1 again. Played that again as a kid. It's from the same people who made Lunar, actually. It's it's uh, Studio Alex and Game Arts. Um, so I'm going to see if I can maybe find some joy in, in Grandia. Uh, maybe Grandia 2 if I really like Grandia 1. Uh, and then from there, I'm probably going to play Xenogears on the PS1 as well. Because I've never played Xenogears for more than like two minutes. And it's always, always referenced as one of these fantastic... Um, PS1 RPGs, although I do know that it sadly wasn't able to be finished, so the last like couple hours of that game is is not great, um, and doesn't really do it justice, but it sounds like despite that, the game is still heralded as, as one of these you know amazing special JRPGs, so yes, I've got some big JRPG plans for the next uh, couple months anyways, so look forward to lots more JRPG talk. This after I titled the last podcast, Are JRPGs Actually Bad? So... <laughs> <laughs> which which was always a bit facetious because they're obviously my favorite genre but hey john hey what's up <laughs> <laughs> uh i'm done with my game talk um it's a little bit what, uh, there <laughs> what uh what have you been playing uh i've been playing metroid dread been what's playing that? grim dawn what are these new lot. games a lot of a Grim Dawn, too much Grim Dawn. Uh, <laughs> spooky. <laughs> you gotta whisper spooky. It's the theme for this episode. Oh, sorry. Spooky. 
<laughs> Very poorly done, but good. Uh, so let's start with Metroid Dread. Um, I'm enjoying it so far. The, the the movement in that game is phenomenal. Samus handles just so well. Moving is a pleasure in this game. Whoever is responsible for that fucking nailed it. Uh, major kudos to them. Um, most everything else, kind of a letdown so far, if I'm being honest. Um, I also... I, I can admit to this, I hold Super Metroid on a bit of a pedestal. Uh, I, I, I quite enjoy that game. Visiting the wrecked ship even today is still like, there's like a, a spookiness to it that I love. Um, and Metroid Dread, its whole, and I'm going to spoil something, so if anybody's listening, I doubt you are, because who listens to this, right? Ha <laughs> <laughs> Don't hurt my uh, feelings, John. <laughs> just kidding, we have listeners. Um, yeah, I'm going to spoil a few things. No, no, I'm not that far, so nothing major. Um, okay. You, you probably already know you're going to get a Varia suit in this game, so it's Metroid. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? No, you're kidding. Um, I think the pacing is kind of bad. Uh, you're frequently, especially in the beginning, I don't know if this holds up the whole time you play, but Metroid games are usually pretty short, so could be. Um, you're frequently interrupted by a little cinematic and it shows off how cool Samus looks, but you know, I don't need to see that every time. Um, and this is this is a sequel, or it's it's the Metroid universe, so X parasites and all that is still a thing. This is kind of a sequel to Metroid Fusion. Um, Jake said it was a direct sequel. I'm not sure we read no, that. No, that's that's yeah, it is. It is a direct sequel. What oh, is direct? Okay, well there we go. Yeah, um, yeah. So X parasites are are focused in a way. Um, the little intro in the beginning of the game spells that out and kind of gives you a brief rundown of like Samus's history and whatnot. Um, but what that means, negatively in my opinion, is that that fucking computer Adam is back, and Adam does nothing but deliver pointless exposition and restate things to you that you just read in the item pop up when you picked up the fucking thing. So the, Adam is your JRPG addendum. Where the thing that you already, as the player, know, the developer insists on you hearing for a second, third, fourth, or fifth time over again. There, exactly. Um, I remember good. getting getting this cloaking ability that you get very early on from like the second boss. Yeah. And I, I would say even the first true boss because you, the, the, you see the first one multiple times. Um, you get this cloaking ability and it lets you hide from those Emmy robots, things chasing you around in all the trailers. Uh, the pop-up tells you how to use it. it. It's a cloak in a game where you're being chased by hostile things. You're going to pick up as a player what the fuck the cloak is for. It's not rocket science. But the next time you get back to this fucking computer and you plug in your Swiss Army knife of a, a gun that activates everything, apparently, <laughs> Adam pops up and tells you, how to use the cloak and what you should use the cloak for. And once again, restates that you should avoid the enemies because they're really tough and you can't kill them yet. And then, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm already doing all of that. Why do you have to say it again? Yeah. Uh, and I, I, this is part of my, my putting uh, Super Metroid on a pedestal here is beyond the intro title screen or, like, um, the text crawl in the beginning of the game, that's it. That's all you get. And the rest is you being alone on this planet, and it's fucking awesome. 
they didn't they didn't need or they could have done this here they could have done that adam i think is a shit character the whole adam malkovich character in general i think is shit and i wish he disappeared sorry he is a last name uh if i remember correctly uh I, I, i hope i'm right so adam malkovich was like um uh, Samus is like commander in her. Like if you go back to other M, unfortunately, oh, it's, it's <laughs> it is it is. I don't have great memories of Fusion because it wasn't my favorite game. But if I remember correctly, he was her like commanding officer or whatever. It's not as bad in Fusion because he he just exists as the computer, but okay. um, it has like his personality and. I see. I, I don't remember the computer calling Samus Lady in Fusion, but I believe he does in Other M, and it's retained here where the oh, computer... Because yeah, it's just what he, he called her, I guess. And I don't know. I, I hold Samus to, like, a different standard, I guess. Um, where it's like, this super strong, intelligent, powerful woman, and doesn't take shit from anybody. It's fucking best bounty hunter out there. And I, I hate the idea that this asshole is, like, lady. <laughs> hey, lady. <laughs> I, I can't even... It's a robot, too. So all I'm picturing is, like, a weird, you know, New York accent smoker. Like, hey, hey, lady. Hey. You got a new cloak. Hey, lady. Let me tell you how it works. I don't know. It doesn't make it... It's just weird. Obviously, it's not what he sounds like, but... It's exactly what he sounds like. It's oh, shit. <laughs> New York smoking robot. Um, yeah. he, he is voiced like it is voice acted. Um, and I don't mind the computerized effect they give him. Uh, it's not like he says lady in a super cringy way or something. It's just, I, I don't, I'm not a fan. Like, just use your damn name. Um, and I know Samus has a history and like the games and the, the Metroid team is, has tried numerous times to like flesh that out more. But I still think it sucks um i don't a lot of what's happened with metroid since super metroid i think has not been great um prime i think was was fantastic but prime yeah, two and Pr- three prime and so was, on okay oh yeah even so so actually for this is a bit of a detour i have not played prime two or three at all and i haven't finished prime one though i did get pretty far and i really liked it um prime two or three do they do they have a much stronger narrative again does the story start to take a, a, a stronger like front and center uh, more so in three. I didn't get terribly far in three because of the fucking motion controls. I didn't want to deal with. Um, oh, okay. It's motion control on the Wii, so I didn't have yeah. a great time with that. But um, loved Prime. Prime two, it becomes a bit more. There's a little bit more of that. I still quite enjoyed Prime two. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of Prime two's light world, dark world mechanic. I've never really enjoyed that. I don't even really enjoy it in Link to the Past, to be honest. But oh, oh. Oh my god! Hold yeah, on, just, not... let's pause the podcast for a second. <laughs> Jesus Christ! You can't just drop, drop that shots. shit on me, Christ. Okay, anyways, I'll move on. I'll recover. We'll come back to that. We'll revisit that in many episodes, I'm sure. <laughs> no, um, given like the the speed of a link to the past esque game, though, it I'm more okay with it there because like pixel art games like that, they. Or action RPGs, I got tend to move quick. Like even changing yep. realms between the realms is quick, right? Yep. Um, whereas, as Nintendo has aged and as their games go on, and this is Retro Studios, so it's not a big deal, but or not as big a deal. But the more 
don't know, the more high fidelity, the more realistic you get, the more they tend to make cinematics of these kinds of things. And I didn't, yeah. I didn't care to, I didn't care for the level design. I didn't care to constantly swap between these things and, and watch that every time. Um, it, it wasn't my favorite thing, but Metroid Prime 2, I think, is still decent. Um, 3, I don't have a lot of experience with, but from what I played, I wasn't a terribly huge fan. Um, but Prime 1, still fucking love it. Anyway, um, not a fan of a lot of what's happened in Metroid since Super Metroid, but whatever. They, I still am enjoying Dread. It's still Samus doing her thing, which I just, you know, I love that it's still happening, and I hope they take this movement and put it in a better game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, the worst the worst fucking line, and why I was immediately soured on Adam when they used him to explain why Samus doesn't have her previous gear. This is a thing from every, every um, fucking Metroid game. But Prime did it beautifully, where she is damaged and she loses her power-ups. And you're forced to recover them on on that planet Talos, I think yeah. it's called. Um, whereas in this fucking game, <laughs> as part of the pacing complaint, you you st- instead of like playing an intro, like in Super Metroid, where you visit the um, research station and you have yep. a little battle with Ridley and Metroid gets kidnapped, all that stuff. Instead of this kind of setup, in Dread, it's it's cutscene. It's all cutscenes until you wake up deep deep down underground in this new planet ZDR. Your stuff is gone, uh, and the, you know the the whole Dread thing is you have to avoid these Emmy robots and, and find your way to the surface. Like I kind of like the tension they're setting up there. Samus is in trouble. She didn't expect this scenario and she's got to escape and get back to her ship that's fine um but adam explains to you after what happened you've lost your power-ups and he uses this fucking term he says physical amnesia Mm. and i just i i thought that was the stupidest thing cheesiest fucking yeah 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 like your abilities are gone and it's because your body forgot how to do them or something yeah that's, that's really silly it's her all of samus's power-ups are fucking pieces of tech you know she didn't get yeah, the screw yeah. the screw attack gene augment or some shit <laughs> but the i don't know i thought it was really silly um and every time I encounter Adam and he's got some new shit to say, I'm, I'm even more soured on this fucker. Um, but despite that, there's a lot of gameplay highlights when you're moving around or running from an Emmy that kind of brings it back up. So it, it highs and lows. I intend to finish it. Um, unfortunately, it's not the second coming of Super Metroid. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's, a, that's, that's a huge... That's a that's a lot of pressure to put on a game, um, first of all, because Super Metroid really is like I think it's one of those games I think a lot of people hold as close to perfect even nowadays. Um, I wanna I wanna stay though like, I mean it's not like Super Metroid has aged perfectly. Um, you go I mean, with the way Samus moves in Dread, it's gonna be hard to play anything else. Sure, sure. But they, it it could have been closer to it. But it's like Nintendo gets in its own way, and feels the need to have this constant restating of shit. It's, I, I'm feeling like there are symptoms of the new Nintendo here, 
that and they weren't they weren't like that back in the Super Metroid days, right? Right. Um, and they, they don't need to do it. Like this this Adam character doesn't need to be here. <laughs> yeah. Do it, saying this crap again and again. Maybe he has something worthwhile to contribute further in the game. I'm not sure. Um, I know Jake is further than I am, and he still hates the guy. Oh, he hates him uh, too, eh? He's, he's liking the game. He agrees on the movement stuff. It's phenomenal. But we were both laughing at that fucking physical amnesia thing for a good long time. <laughs> nice, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, glad to hear, I'm glad to hear that you guys agree on that. Um, it's also just, again, I haven't played it yet, and I'm absolutely going to play it, and I'm sure I'll finish it. Um, I was I was a big fan of the the other game that studio made for the, the 3DS, the Metroid 2 remake. Um, oh, it, I, I don't like the idea that you're you're trapped alone in the center of this you're, you know or deep in this new planet and you're trying to escape with all these homicidal robots that you can't defeat right away that's a cool setup for tension and and dare i say dread it's weird to me that they would take this entry to continue with this whole samus has a companion thing and wouldn't isolating her be the like that wouldn't that be this be the perfect title for that whole isolation angle that that metroid games can do so well yeah, definitely. Um, uh, and yeah, like Adam's presence definitely brings that down. Yeah, um, I can imagine. And um, the intro where this Chozo warrior kicks your ass and, and I guess deposits you way down here for some unknown reason is... It, it, I thought it was kind of weak. Um, and... There's a, a brief part of the intro cutscene where Samus's eyes open as she's getting choked out, and it's almost like it feels like it's about to be one of those anime power-up scenes where I the guy, I saw actually I've seen that little clip, and I also you know, thought yeah. it was just weird. It, it, it just took me out of it a little bit, and I was like, why? Why am I seeing this? <laughs> I'm curious what this story has in store for me. Um, I'm gonna try to remain optimistic, but I I don't know. I'm I'm thinking i'm not gonna like it <laughs> we'll, we'll see though uh and and ho- again hopefully they take the mechanics of this and they move it to um a, a better game in the future because damn does it handle well cool i will um, say level design wise things feel a bit cramped at times um I, I would like to see more open spaces and i hope there are bigger wider spaces further in the game Oh, yeah. Because I, I, for a game where moving feels this great, I'd like to do more of it in like, uh, in in sequence, I guess, instead of being interrupted by these. And it's it's a Metroid game, so there's always a roadblock somewhere, right? You got to come back yeah. and revisit this thing. But I know moving in this game is just so enjoyable. I want to do it as cleanly as possible. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. No. Fair enough. Fair enough. Cool. Yeah, well, I'll, when I do end up playing it, I'll, I'll let you know my thoughts on it eventually, too. We'll probably, maybe you'll have finished it by the next podcast. We'll see by then. Um, uh, I had one, oh, how, how are you finding the difficulty? Because I know a lot of people are, are talking about the bosses in, in Dread. Um, yeah, I've died a few times. Um, it's, it's like Samus Returns, where you get hit once and you lose half an E-tank, if not more. Um, so you, you can die pretty quick if you're careless. And they bring back the melee attack, so they definitely expect you to use that. Yeah. Um, this is definitely something I struggle with um, because I mean, it, the enemies all have tells. It's not super difficult. But in a game where sh- the moving is the movement is this fast and fluid, 
to be expected to slow down for an enemy um, that might be a bit of an HP sponge uh, or is in your way and has to be killed. It, it reminds me of Sonic games in a way, um, and I've never been a terribly big Sonic fan, but Sonic games are all about that sense of speed, but there are constant like off-screen roadblocks that you probably, unless you memorize the level, you're not going to react fast enough to keep that sense of movement going. Don't, don't um, get me started on the old 2D Sonic <laughs> games, John. They just they just don't do it for me, and it's exactly for that reason. It's that the going fast is cool and fun, but it doesn't work in these games because you can't see far enough ahead for the speed you're going. Uh, yeah, like and I mean, unless you're godlike, you're not going to react quick enough. No, no. Uh, and even if you could, uh, uh, if he preserves his momentum, could you even do the move you'd like to do? Um, right. Yeah, let's not even get into Sonic. But <laughs> it reminded me a bit of that just because uh, you're moving and you're chaining these ledge grabs and wall jumps and it's feeling great. Samus has a slide now to get under low areas yeah. and it, it fits in so well. While you're running, you can hit the melee button and she'll do a jumping forward attack like with her gun. And cool. if the enemy is weak enough to get killed by it, it feels great to like chain all that together and keep moving. So I, I'm enjoying that aspect a lot, but you are frequently interrupted by, um, you know, the, the next roadblock you're missing a power-up for and you got to turn around or some enemy that isn't going to die in one or two missiles. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't really hold it against it. Um, if anything, I kind of wish the screen was zoomed out even more than it is. Yeah. Um, just so you could see more and you could, like, plan that ahead to keep that movement going as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and I, some of the areas are a bit maze-like, and I find the map screen to be actually pretty cluttered with icons and colors and shit, and it's actually less clear to read to me than, like, than Super Metroid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, so I, I think that could be toned down a bit. When you zoom in, you can clearly see, like, what power-up you're missing if you've, it went like, when you know what the icon means. So that that's nice. Um, and there's definitely some modern niceties to be had here. But it does feel a bit cluttered. Um yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that there are more large areas where you can pull the camera back later in the game. That'd be really cool. Yep. Cool. Yeah, well, that's, uh, I'm excited to hear your, your kind of final thoughts on it when you're done. Sorry, I got super sidetracked. We were talking about difficulty. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't stop going on about this movement because it's so good. But difficulty-wise, be, uh, because the camera is further out... Um, you know, on a console with a nice controller instead of 3DS, and again, her amazing movement. I'm I'm finding it's less of an issue for me here. I died a few times on the boss that gives you the cloak. Um, you know, they definitely expect you to like hang back and try to pick up on patterns and stuff for a bit before you get in there. Um, I think it's fine. I didn't find it like unfairly difficult um, because she again because she handles so well. Uh, some of the boss tells could be a little tricky. Um, or, yeah, I mean, I only fought him a few times before I beat him, but some of them didn't. I wasn't immediately sure I was expected to react to that or what they were asking of me. Right. Um, but then again, it's like introducing the new slide mechanic, and you already have a ledge grab out of the box. They expect you to use that stuff. So you just have to explore and use your kit, and it's fine. Cool. Oh, good. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. So, um, yeah. 
Sorry, did you want to say something else about <laughs> Metroid Dunk? No, no, we keep cutting each other off. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to wrap up and say I think the challenge is fine. Um, okay. If you're if you're if the thought of that being hard is holding you back, don't worry about it. It's fine. Cool. All right. Good. I mean, it wasn't holding me back because I'm, as I've said before, very oh, I, very I mean good. The listeners, the listeners. <laughs> yeah, I'm a capital G gamer, guys. So. Capital G gamer. Capital G. Um, cool. And then for uh, it is Spooky Month. And this whole episode is, is centered around that theme. Uh, so why don't we talk <laughs> for like two minutes <laughs> about Grim Dawn? Uh, okay, Grim Dawn is a Diablo-like, um, I don't know exactly what you call these games, isometric ARPG, I guess. Um, but it's it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of class options. Um, the max level is 100, and um, uh, each class can have like 50 points devoted to it in terms of like the class level and then there's separate points like not separate but you also have to spend points on abilities but uh given the size of the skill trees and the amount of points available to you there's tons of build options to experiment with it's a lot of fun to just get in there and try something new um i'm still loving that aspect i've got two characters on the go right now nice um and it, it lives up to its name also it's it, the lore is pretty dark in places um Grim Dawn itself is an event that changed the world in a negative way. Um, and there's a lot of different opposing factions that have like dark goings on underneath that's really cool to learn about. There's some pretty fucked up looking areas to go to, like the Chthonic portals that take you through to like this this rocky like it's it's black and red, this kind of like darkly themed thing where there's a lot of um, Cthulhu-esque monsters and stuff. It it, it looks really fucking cool. And there's a separate faction called the Ethereals that, like, can possess dead or living bodies and can, like, reanimate the dead with these magic crystals and stuff. And it just, it's cool to to see all these factions involved and to pick up the little lore books and read about it. Um, I think the story and stuff could have been delivered better. Um... For the, the this game has a great attention to detail and like level design and stuff. Yeah. And I, I constantly I've sent you screenshots. I constantly find these little things where I'm just impressed for a game this zoomed out. When you zoom in, it looks that fucking great. Yeah, yeah they've, they've got a lot of cool little set pieces you can stumble onto. Mm-hmm. And if you early on, there's um, like a, a grandfather clock, like a standing clock in a house. And if you're standing near it and you've got your sound on, you'll actually hear it tick. <laughs> wow, yeah, nice little attention to detail. Uh, yeah, little things like that. It's, it's great. Um, but the same detail isn't really given to the narrative sometimes. I would like to see... Um, I would have liked to see like more cutscenes or something to deliver some of that. Um, right. What they have is not bad, but it, it could. It, I think it could have been better or just presented more effectively. Now, now, I mean... Aside from that, though, like when you pick up the lore books and you read about what some of these these people leaving journals and stuff, it's one of those games. Like a lot of the lore you're gonna get is from breaking a crate somewhere and a book fell out and you read it, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, and and some of those are are pretty decent and um, like paint a, a good picture of what they went through. Cool. But uh, even them, they they could be better. The gameplay is king though, and experimenting with these builds is is fun as shit. Uh, bring, tying this back to our difficulty conversation for a sec, actually, um, it's it's kind of interesting the way this works, and I don't know if any of the Diablo games work this way. I only played the first one, 
Um, <laughs> actually, I'll talk about Diablo 2 in a second, too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but this, this game has three difficulty modes with an optional checkbox for the normal difficulty. So you have normal with the option to turn on veteran mode in normal, which makes it harder but gives you better loot and um, be better loot via spawning more more powerful enemies so you can kill them and get better shit. Uh, it also gives you a 10% EXP boost. I always play on veteran because I don't find it... it the games like this, are they're click-heavy and they're going to throw armies of like 30 guys at you. And if you're building your dude um, with any kind of focus, you're going to be able to rip through it. It's fine. Um, and you're expected to beat the campaign on normal to then progress to elite to then progress to ultimate. And you won't get some of the better build-defining stuff until you get to ultimate, where you're likely going to hit the level cap and, and probably unlock some new content also. I've never been that far, but uh, basically you're going to end up replaying this three times. I see. Um, I have been near, near the end on elite on one of my characters last time I played, and... Um, it, for a game that moves this like quickly, I don't mind it because once you know what you're doing, you can really blaze through that shit. Um, but it does get a little monotonous, uh, and I, I would I would rather have it where there's enough content for me to get from one to a hundred, sure, and 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 like get all those build defining things, or I don't know, maybe there's an area I've got to grind out some levels before I can go access some true secret dungeon or something like that. But yeah, re replaying the thing three times can get tedious, um, and I'd like to. I, I would have preferred single difficulty, uh, and you just finish the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, fair uh, enough. Um, definitely among your your favorites in that genre, though, as far as I can tell. Oh, for sure. Um, I tried to revisit Titan Quest recently, actually, and compared to Grim Dawn, it's just it doesn't. I played it on PS4, and it kind of plays like shit, so this has been fun. <laughs> That's good. And you almost <laughs> played Diablo 2 Remastered, or whatever it's called? Yes. Uh, so I bought Diablo 2 Resurrected, and uh, you know you have to go through the Blizzard.net shop and all that. Uh, which even that I was unprepared for. I was like, wait a second, there's a new game not on Steam? What? <laughs> um, so you have to download their Battle.net thing. It actually works pretty well, so that's fine. Um, but what I didn't realize is I, I've upgraded my computer recently. It's by no means top of the line. My graphics card is not amazing, but it is pretty good. And I've been learning a lot of 3, 3D work, and it's been doing really well for that. So I, I didn't expect Diablo 2, looking at screenshots, to be the game that this computer couldn't play. <laughs> but it turns out I have a 4-gig video card, and it requires the recommended settings uh ask for a six gig video card so i was getting immediate like frame dips I, I don't know if i could hold 30 fps when i was playing it which just really wow. surprised me um but ha happily uh the return policy and whatnot on uh, battle.net i got a refund on technical conditions so that was fun oh nice okay that's good um yeah i almost got to play it <laughs> almost yeah well maybe when uh Maybe if I ever get a Steam Deck, I'll be able to play it, and I'll tell you how it is. I'm excited for that. Hopefully, that's good. Are you Are you planning on getting one, John? If If it like pans out and it's it's everything we hope it's going to be. I like the idea of. Uh, I mean, I, I like consoles because I like to know that the game I'm buying for it will run. And yeah. I, I hate I hate managing these parts. 
I don't like upgrading my PC. My PC. That's why I always I always buy like a hand me down from my my brother because he's into that stuff. Right. Um, and it's just, it's no different than this PC. I, I don't. I just don't care to keep up with that world very much. Um, so I, to see Steam, like the biggest on, like online storefront for PC gaming, get a device that is I can treat like a console. I'm pretty excited for that. Sweet. Yeah, yeah. I I really hope it it pans out. What when is it slated for release? Is it end of this year? Is it next year? Uh, I'm not actually sure. Let's, I'm let's have Google a quick Google right now. Okay, typing time, Good. everybody. Get that clackety keyboard going. Clackety, clackety, clack. Windows of the Steam Deck. Clackety, clackety, time. Oh, yeah, it's December of this year. Oh, shit. Available to reserve now in select regions and will begin shipping December 2021. I have, I put that $5 down for the the uh, the pre-order thing. Hold on, let me just clickety, clackety, go to my Gmail, make sure I didn't get a... <laughs> you can pre-order it now. No, there I did you not. Go. I did not. Um, you did not. But yeah, I, I'm really excited for it. I was heavily considering getting a new PC this fall, um, but I think I, I'm just going to keep on with this laptop because it's still working well enough and it does what I need it to, and then the Steam Deck can be my my sick new gaming thing. I'd be curious uh, if it could handle D2. Uh, I remember at the, reading an article where they were saying that there isn't a game Something, they were saying something along the lines of there isn't a game currently on Steam that the Steam Deck can't play. Yeah, which was a hell of a, a claim. Oh, I mean, I guess they're never going to try D2 because it's not on Steam. But <laughs> oh, true. It's, still, it's still even <laughs> it's weird to me to think of a PC game as not being on Steam these days. Yeah, hey, no kidding. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, from all reports it runs everything really well so I'm, I'm excited for it it's not it's gonna happen after a ps5 for me because elden ring trumps everything but hell yeah bro you gotta get on that dude you do not have much time isn't it january that it's coming out? yes that's three months dude and you gotta you have to find that's, that's and buy years PS5. away <laughs> <laughs> three months is years away dude I cannot i cannot play elden ring alone john i will cry so much if you aren't there to chat about it with i will i will make all attempts to find the ps3 variant. the podcast PS3. will die john the ps you see ps3 <laughs> i did yeah what the fuck we're going oh, back God. in time to play elden ring <laughs> okay kyle i got a ps3 what you fucking idiots <laughs> ps5 oh okay this is oh, the last I... game released before they shut down that store <laughs> <laughs> oh fucking hell <laughs> um, all right, so uh, I think that's it for uh, for Vigima games we've been playing. I'm gonna try something new with uh, the N word today. So here, here I go. Just be quiet for a second. <laughs> news. The news. The news. News. I'm gonna put the news theme <laughs> over top of that. Why does anyone um, listen to this show? Because <laughs> I said N word and then said news. That's a funny bit. <laughs> I didn't even plan that. Um, <laughs> so news. Um, <laughs> let, let's let's go back to Metroid Dread for a second. All right. Um, so Kotaku ran an article on the weekend that was saying that Metroid Dread is being emulated rather successfully on PCs right now and running at a lovely 4K resolution. Um, I think they had actually linked to the video on how to do it in the article. Um, really? Because... Nintendo ended up taking that video down. 
and I saw a lot of people on the internet very upset uh, about Kotaku shedding light on this this being a thing at all. And John and I talked a little bit about it before the pod, but John, what were your kind of initial reactions to this? Uh, I, I didn't really view it as a bad thing. Um, you know, they're not owned by Nintendo. They're reporting the fact that a modern game uh, is is actually playable on your PC right now. I don't know the ethics of advertising that video, uh, if there were actually step-by-step instructions on how to do it. But right. um, emulating itself is not illegal, and Nintendo uses emulators to republish their old content, often poorly. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not too... I wouldn't be too upset about it, I guess. I don't view yeah. it as a big deal. What, what are your thoughts? Um, so I'm obviously pro-emulation in in the general sense. Like it, It's really the only way to play a lot of you know games that are historically hard to find and now hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars on the Internet. Uh, and a super important way of just preserving a lot of game history, which we've talked a little bit on the podcast about. Um, sure. Yeah, I think I agree in, in that just, just having an article about that fact... Like, I, I don't know. It, it, they're they're a video game news website, and that's tech, that's news, right? A brand new Nintendo game is is piratable on your PC super fucking easily. That I mean, that's like, I don't know. I'm not going to do it. I, I'd rather support the IP and and you know hope for more Metroid in the future, especially because the game it sounds like is is worth it enough that you should spend your money on it. Um, you know, I, I'm an adult, so just me me knowing that. I'm not immediately going to go go pirate that game, right? Like, I understand the nuances of, of game dev and and financing games and how IPs are are supported. And if people don't buy the new Metroid game, well, we're probably not going to see a lot more Metroid. That's just how it works, right? Right. Um, but yeah, I agree. Like, if, if I'm pretty sure they had a video in the uh, in the article, so the the fact that they included that seemed kind of scummy to me. Um, and especially because it, it's not just you know again it's it's not it's not just Nintendo that's being hurt by this it's it's the team that was I think it's a Spanish developer that actually made Dread is that right? That sounds familiar. It's uh, yeah. Mercury Steam, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that that group like you know obviously they they were given a pretty important project to work on Metroid, um, and it sounds like they've more or less delivered something that will you know not not ring the death knell for the series. And it would just be kind of shitty to to not have them reap any of the rewards of that if a, a significant number of people ended up ended up pirating the game. But I agree in, in general. Like, it's not Kotaku's responsibility to hide this fact, right? Um, just just reporting on the fact that it's a thing doesn't really get my hackles up as as much as it did a lot of people's. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, like you said, it's a game site reporting on game news. Um, Sharing the video, like if it's an, I, I can't see the video, it's, it's already gone, but if it was an instructional video on how to do it and like where to obtain the uh, image for the game, that I think is a problem. Distribution yeah. of the games is usually the problem. Um, backing up your own content is, is fine. Emulating is fine, I think. Um, but if that, if that video was showing you where to get it and how to do it, that, that is a problem. But reporting on the fact that it can be emulated, the news there to me is that whoever's developing this emulator really knows their shit. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that's it, it is relevant information, right? 
there's a a switch emulator that can run on modern pcs um right. and, and even just from a like you know oh i have this game on switch but i'd like to play it up upscaled on my computer well it'd be, it'd be nice to be able to do that the developer is not losing out on anything because i already bought the game um yeah like, like i said in general I'm, I'm just i'm very pro emulation um but i, I do think that it's shitty if, if a brand new game gets released and you kind of immediately emulate it. It's also one thing if you're like a kid. <laughs> I don't know. Because, you know, we were kids. We emulated stuff as kids. Um, sure. Stuff that maybe we otherwise would have been able to spend money on. But we were children. And, and I know I didn't have access to a large uh, amount of funds when I was a kid. And my, my parents weren't super loaded in buying me video games all the time. So there was definitely stuff I would have missed out on if, if not for emulation. Uh, that I you know I've gone on to support financially in my my adulthood. So yeah, I, I think it's a little bit more complicated than a lot of the internet outrage made it out to be. But either way, interesting news nonetheless. It's just crazy that a, a brand new ass modern console game found its way to the PC that fucking quickly. No kidding. Um... Yeah, I guess I mean ripping it's probably easy enough, but I, I wouldn't have expected a, a switch emulator to to be this far along already. No kidding. Yeah, it's crazy how fast these emulator people are getting. Um, Although I mean, think about it, the switches is how old now? Four years or so, something like that. Yeah, I think four or five. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. It does plenty of time to get to work. <laughs> True. Yeah, I mean they really are due for for a new switch upgrade. Speaking of which. Um, uh, one one quick side oh, note. Fuck you, you dude, that right. was the perfect transition, dude. <laughs> Too bad. Merc- Mercury Steam is based in Spain. <laughs> Spain, okay, yeah, yeah, cool. Um, I, I also just find it interesting that Nintendo, with Metroid, decided to have like a third party do it. I, I don't know, it just, it, it's an interesting choice. Yeah, I, would have, I definitely would have expected... Um, uh, they were, so this studio was also responsible for the uh, Lords of Shadow game. Uh, on on 3ds I think the Castlevania game, oh, and you can kind okay. you, you you can kind of tell like you can kind of like feel their handiwork when you play like Samus Returns. Um, okay. Uh, but yeah, I would have expected Metroid to be in house for sure. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I, looking actually, so on Metroid for a little bit longer, I was looking at some sales figures for the series, kind of historically, especially compared to Nintendo's other big flagship titles, and okay. Metroid has never been a, a big seller ever. Uh, I, think, me. <laughs> I think the first game was the best-selling one, um, like the NES game, and basically oh, wow. everything since then has been less and less and less and less and less. So it's really not this big powerhouse of, of sales and marketing that I think a lot of gamers think it is when they think of Metroid because it has this whole legacy, you know, and this clout behind it because of that. So, anyways, one other reason to to support uh, support the new game if it's if it's something you want to see more of. I, I and this is this is a tough thing, right? Because I was thinking about this the other day. Say tomorrow, they were like, we are releasing Lunar 3, okay? Game Arts got back together, we're making Lunar 3. I would obviously have to replace all my underwear. Um, <laughs> but after I got myself under control, like in my mind, I would want to make sure as many people as possible buy that game to kind of help ensure the possibility of there being a future to that, that series, right? But if, if a series you like puts out a game, and that game sucks, but this is the only, like, 
entertainment medium where this is like a, a discussion, right? Like, oh, even though that game sucks, but you really should buy it if you like the series to keep the series going. Well, that's fucking dumb. Like, no, don't support <laughs> bad. Don't support bad games just because it's in a series that you historically like. Like, that's I think that's really silly and, and defeatist because one, it also the, the sends problem, a message. I definitely agree with what you're saying. The problem is a lot of modern games don't have demos, and you won't know it's shit. Unless you're, unless you're waiting for a review you trust, or unless you buy it and try it, right? Yeah, I, buy it. That, that that is true. Buy it, nothing beats buy and try. I I can watch all the gameplay footage and stuff I want. Um, like for Tales of Arise, for example, until I until I bought it and played it myself, I, I just I couldn't have really gotten a sense of it without putting in that time that I did, right? Yeah, if you if you got a, a proper impression from some YouTuber, you would have had tons of the story and whatnot ruined for you to find out that you wouldn't yeah. have liked it. Which yeah. is a, it's silly to expect. Now, Tales of Arise had a, a demo, and there were definitely some signs that it wouldn't have been amazing. But um, for 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 Metro, I don't I don't think Dread had a demo. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know for a fact, but I don't think so. I have a look at that Metroid Dread. Demo. Mm, there was some demo gameplay from the Treehouse Direct. I don't know if we ever got a downloadable demo where we. No, could I, try I don't it, think so. Then just just footage. Yeah, well, the the point stands either way that there are plenty of modern games where you don't get a chance to do that. So, and I imagine it's by design. Uh, and we, we've seen plenty of stories talking about studios um, having review embargoes and whatnot until after the day of release so that they can get those day one sales, right? Which is a pretty scummy behavior already. Yeah, I, I do uh, think, in, in general, I'm going to try my best going forward, except for with Elden Ring, that's going to be a day one for me no matter what. But I am going to try my best to, with new games, give them some time to kind of simmer down and like that initial hype to die down. Because I always find that like a week or two after a game comes out, looking at the tweets about the game you really start to get a different impression of the game than, than when it was brand new right right first impressions they could like they can change especially when it comes to a video game it's also so easy to get caught up in the internet hype machine yes yeah absolutely and the, and the whole like we're all excited about this together totally yeah it's it's, it's a problem <laughs> um, <but laughs> waiting is hard so waiting is hard waiting is hard um Okay, so, so on to uh, some, some Switch news here. So Bloomberg reported back like last, or was either earlier this year or last year about the whole new Nintendo Switch with the, the 4K capability natively and, and a bunch of beefier hardware and stuff like that. And, and Nintendo at the time was really upset about it and said, no, that's wrong, we hate you, fuck you, yada, yada, yada. Um, Nintendo <laughs> also historically has this reputation of kind of, you know, cutting their nose off just to spite you if, if you do something they don't like. Um, this was something they did with like a live-action Zelda series for Netflix. The fact that it got um, leaked before they were ready to talk about it made them totally cancel and abandon the project as well as another one. Um, so I, I was always of the opinion when they when they released or announced the OLED Switch, you know, this could just be Nintendo being Nintendo and saying, fuck you, we, we were gonna, but you released it soon, so... This is just to fuck over your reporting. Um, I almost wouldn't put it past them. Uh, but Bloomberg actually, so the, you know, the OLED got announced. Everybody said, oh, Bloomberg, you're so dumb. Your actual reporters, whose job it is to you know, vet sources and, and put together what they 
see as reliable information and then report that out under the supervision of editors. I'm trying to get to the point here that they're a professional reporting, you know, enterprise and people love to shit on them like they're some sort of amateur sleuths, but they obviously have some reason to, to think these things that they thought and report the things that they reported. Um, so Nintendo released the OLED, everybody said, Bloomberg, you're dumb and wrong. Well, Bloomberg put out an article not too long ago that said that Nintendo had every intention of releasing a 4K Switch uh, for this holiday, but that the you know the global chip shortage as a result of supply um, constraints with COVID was would kind of put a kibosh to that plan. So this was something that Nintendo decided to do kind of in the interim, and in that there is still very much a, a 4K uh, Switch coming in the pipeline. A lot of people pointed out that you could anybody could right now say there's going to be an upgrade to the switch coming out and you'd be right it's just a matter of when right like that's not that's not surprising of course there's going to be a new beefier version of the switch at some point um but i do find it interesting how many people get their panties in a, in a twist when they see reporting on stuff like this and, and like how upset they get that you know people aren't just letting nintendo announce things when they're ready to announce things especially because it, again it's this weird instinct with with game like gamers in general to defend these massive multi-million billion corporations right uh nintendo doesn't give a shit about you as an individual okay and that's fine they they they're a company right their, their incentives are not to do that their incentives are to maximize their profits because they're capitalists and that's what they're incentivized to do they have a board that they're beholden to yada 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 this is kyle's economics podcast now um but, but like Nintendo announcing things when they want to announce things is all in the furtherance of their sales, right? A news organization getting wind of a game company releasing a console, and if they vet that and think, look, our sources are, are rock solid, like this is who they are, I trust them, they've been good. You know, this is how reporting works, right? You don't just throw shit out there and destroy your, your credibility because you'll you'll have a fun story people can click on right they, they treat these things very seriously and like i said there's editors at these news organizations to have the final say on whether or not these stories get run and obviously they had enough to stand on here that they thought yep this is a, a rock solid you know story about the business of nintendo go ahead and run it and then obviously plans change because of the chip shortage which bloomberg would never have been able to predict um and, and nintendo wouldn't have had any idea of at the time either right um, but anyways, it's just it's funny to me that people get so upset about this when knowing more about it, like Nintendo's release schedule for their physical hardware is only going to benefit you, the consumer, right? I, I mentioned to you before we started recording, if I knew that the 4K Switch was coming out next year, right, and my Switch today, my base model Switch broke, I would probably hold off and not replace it with an OLED Switch until the new one came out and I would just get that. But yeah, if, if I had no indication from Nintendo, because they love to play this stuff super close to the chest, and I'll only announce it like a couple months before it's going to come out, you know, and, and it didn't seem like anything was coming out, the OLED Switch was the new Switch, get on board, that's what we have for the next couple of years, I would probably just buy the OLED Switch. But I would definitely feel burned if then, you know, a year later they announced, oh, in a couple of months you're going to be able to get a sick new beefy-ass piece of hardware. Um, so I, I just don't understand people getting so upset and butthurt about the reporting around this stuff i just don't understand it i'll never understand why people are so quick to defend their plastic boxes but yeah i don't know did you have any thoughts about the the reporting on that john 
Uh, I mean, I, I like to think of good reporting as um, being able to like hold these companies accountable. I, I, I mean, there's ser- like serious stuff like what's going on with Rockstar. I'm, I don't want to get into that, but Rockstar or the, Blizzard. Uh, Blizzard, or no Rockstar. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Rockstar. Yeah. Everything's fine. <laughs> Rockstar is good. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what's going on at Rockstar. I'm not Blizzard. <laughs> They're interchangeable. GTA Diablo. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, this this reporting and the ability. Of these outlets to get a hold of news like this, um, you know, I like the idea that that might encourage these companies to operate ethically. That's not that's that's not the issue here. I'm just I don't know. Yeah, I like, that, that's the whole enterprise, right? The whole idea behind this is to to hold these companies accountable and keep everybody honest, right? Yeah, um, I, I don't know the ethics of Nintendo playing it close to the vest and releasing so let, let's let's say this is the scenario let's pretend for a moment here they are fully intending to release a 4k switch next year in turn in time for the holidays holiday season for massive shopping boom whatever and they release the oled as a stopgap this year i'm not a fan of that i don't like um releasing this stopgap and I don't know, using the, the power of marketing and, and all the hype and whatnot to get a lot of people to commit 350 bucks to not much of an upgrade. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if, if you could say it's not ethical. I, I don't think you could, but I, I'm not a fan. I don't, I don't like it. I wish they, that was not the case. But I like that Bloomberg is saying they intended to or these other outlets are saying they intended to because to me that signals that I'm going to wait to see what they're going to do. Right. Uh, I'm going to hold on to my cash. I'm going to see if Nintendo's going to do that. And then maybe I'll upgrade. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, it, it's just. And of course, then I think people will argue, oh, well, guess what? They're just wrong. It's like, well, I mean, I, they were wrong in this instance. Um, you're, you're not wrong about that. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, again, I, I yeah. just think that for the most part, yeah, of course, be critical of, of anything that's, that's reported. I think people's ability to to digest news and also differentiate between like hard reporting and editorializing and like opinion pieces is, is notoriously bad and people are not very good at, at realizing that most news organizations kind of have two two different you know uh kind of sections to them right one is again the hard news reporting side of things and one is the kind of content creation opinion side of things um yeah i just think people kind of have a fundamental misunderstanding of, of the point of, of reporters or what a reporter's job is and what their responsibilities are. I don't know. It's, it's fucking, it's then it's whatever Nintendo's new console is. It's also not that fucking important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really fucking matter. It doesn't really fucking matter. So anyways, um, um on the topic of the OLED, do you want to go into that, that stuff from that video you watched? Oh, um, I, I haven't even finished it cause we started the podcast before I could, but, um, from Modern Vintage Gamer on YouTube. He's got a great video talking about the new OLED Switch and whether or not it's worth 350 bucks. And he, he raised an interesting point. And that's 350 American. It's much, you know, <laughs> us poor Canadians get to pay with the ass for that. Metroid Dread cost me $90. So oh, fuck. God. Yeah. That's painful, man. <laughs> it really sucks. Um, anyway, uh, an interesting point he raised there is that when he was testing the land speed because the new 
um, switch dock, the OLED switch dock has a built-in LAN port. Um, when he was testing that, it frequently did not beat and sometimes lost to his Wi-Fi connection speed. And he was explaining that as being a limitation of feeding everything through this single USB-C port. Because when you dock your switch onto the dock, video, audio, and now internet are delivered uh, via the uh, that single USB-C port you're docking to. And, you know, it works great, but there's only so much bandwidth through that single port. So it's interesting to see. I mean, it's going to offer a more stable connection, hopefully, because it's LAN, but you're not actually, at least according to this, you're not going to gain much in terms of speed if that's what you're hoping to use it for. Yeah, I also just, again, I, I found that really intriguing because I never thought of it like that with, with the Switch being on that dock and that dock being kind of the intermediary between all of your other inputs, right? It's, it's like if right. you're... Your PlayStation 5 had this little dongle, your HDMI and power cord and everything connected into, and then there was a USB-C output that actually went into the back of the console. Well, that USB-C is, is essentially the the road that everything has to take to, to get to the console, right? So it, it's going to have limitations as far as data transfer because it's just USB-C. Yeah, I, I just thought that was really fascinating. Actually, my, my the Switch it was my first encounter with something like that. Um, but also the graphics tablet I have has a similar, it's a single USB-C that's in like a split cable that hooks up to power USB and um, an HDMI slot on my, on my tower. Um, it's it's kind of interesting to see that, how much can get crunched through one, one cable. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, the other thing he'd mentioned in that video was just, just, just to kind of put it in historical context here, that the first <laughs> OLED... Uh, portable like handheld gaming device was not the OLED switch it was the motherfucking PlayStation Vita the uh, Vita which I'm looking at right now with my my own two eyes that's actually what I've been playing Breath of Fire 3 on because I'm playing the PSP version um, I, I ended up turning my Vita into my PlayStation 1 uh, classics machine it has a bunch of them on there and yeah it's, it's a great little handheld and he, he compared them side by side and you know it, the OLED screen on the Vita looks great uh, OLED screens aren't exactly brand new tech Although they do look nicer than the original Switch screen. But I, I just think it's important to remember if you're really on the fence for getting one of these things, if you already have a Switch, unless you're always playing in handheld mode and the current display really bothers you, I don't know, it's, just, it's probably not worth it. Um, yeah, unless you view this as a true upgrade, I would say hold on to your cash. Yeah. Um, again, what would have made me just not basically not give a shit and just say cool and move on is if nintendo just announced listen we're replacing all base model switches that we're selling from now on with this version which has a bigger nicer screen and like a built-in land port i would have been like okay cool that's great i'm glad that everybody who gets the switch now is going to have a slightly better one like that's that 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 wouldn't have made sense to me um but the fact that it's it's still like i don't know 400 bucks here and for barely any difference just just buy the regular switch <laughs> Save yourself yeah. some money. <laughs> anyway. uh, you know what? Plenty of people upgrading to OLED are probably going to sell off their old Switch Qs, and you True. can get it cheap. Yeah, go go buy a, a cheap used Switch with semen stains on it. For Ten bucks. <laughs> Sorry about that. That was me. <laughs> you can't do that. You have an any. Um. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, sorry, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll, we'll stop shitting on Nintendo for a little while now. Um, 
just release the cool new Switch, you sons of bitches. Although by that point, I'll have the the Steam Deck, so I'll be I'll be on to bigger and better things. Um, I kid. I always end up coming back to a Nintendo console because they they usually have a couple of their IPs on there, which which I know I want to play. So and I, 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 I we pooped on the Switch quite a bit. I have played a number of games on there that I've really enjoyed, and and I do like it in general as as a console. Uh, although I have lots of gripes with it. Um, yeah. Anyways. Honestly, honestly, the most impressive game on the Switch for me was Monster Hunter Rise. Yeah, I, yeah, Rise was was really great. It ran wonderfully and looked very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah Rise was awesome. Right Ugh. when we were in the, the the midst of our our <laughs> our rising, it was it was great. It was really good times. <laughs> I think the Switch is a great console. Um, again, I'm not sure about the ethics of releasing a, a stopgap system. The way fucking Sega did way back when, <laughs> right? And their whole console industry died. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it's not a huge deal to me that it's, this was reported on. It's not a huge deal to me that Nintendo released this thing. I'm not gonna buy it. it seems like a waste of cash to me. Um, but the switch, the switch itself, and what it can do, and and, and I, I, I'm excited to see like Nintendo continue that line of consoles. Yeah, for sure. For shoe. All right. Switch, so last Switch last two. bit of news. Switch two. It's it better be called the Super Nintendo Switch. <laughs> I love that idea. And then it's better can... than Xbox's scheme. Anything <laughs> is better than Xbox's scheme. I love the idea of them doing a Super Nintendo Switch and having like the new Joy Cons be the old uh, SNES colors, like the purple and uh, and gray. That would be sick. <laughs> yeah, it would appeal to my nostalgia, and I would buy it so fast. So <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Last bit of the news. A bit more Nintendo, actually. Uh, Smash Bros. Ultimate is officially done, being being added to roster-wise. They announced the final fighter, to and it made every single person in the world happy. There were nobody disappointed, which is great. Uh, that fighter is Sora from Kingdom Farts, the notoriously <laughs> bad video game series that has no fans. Um, which is not true. It, it definitely has its diehard fans. I fucking hate those games. Um, we just lost at least one one listener. <laughs> I almost uh, said viewer. <laughs> viewer, yeah. <laughs> Some people might just look at their phones the whole time they listen to the podcast. That'd be weird. But <laughs> um, I think I think Sora was a fine addition. Apparently, there was an old poll back for the Smash Bros. Wii U when it came out on the Wii U and the 3DS, uh, where they just had fans put in who they wanted to be in the game the most. And they're claiming that Sora was the number one person on that poll. Granted, that poll was back in 2013 or 14 or something. Um, and they never actually released the results of that poll. So the cynical part of me, again, is like, this is a lie. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but whatever, I'll take it at face value. Um, so Sora was their number one voted, and I guess they decided to wait eight years to make people happy. Uh, which I would argue, in eight years, I bet you if they ran that poll again, it would be a completely different answer to who people wanted in the game the most but whatever i don't make these games um i don't really give a shit Sora's fine i think he fits the universe very well like i think he makes a lot of sense in smash bros um sure as the final fighter reveal i was pretty let down but again it's not really a game i play that much so i haven't played ultimate since the first few months of its release um so yeah the, the announcement did nothing for me i'm happy for sora fans uh yeah, pretty pretty kind of meh 
yeah, when I saw that, I was like, eh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's how I felt too. I, I, I mean, it was. I watched the presentation on it. Excuse me, and it was cool. Like Masahiro Sakurai is a just a super passionate person when it comes to video games in general, and in particular, of course, his baby Smash Bros. So watching him present these things, you can just kind of feel that passion and excitement. Um, there was also like you, you could just kind of sense he was a little bit emotional about the whole thing, considering they've worked on this game for so damn long now, and. It was cool. It was a nice little send off to the to the game, and and I mean, looking back at the at the roster of it, it, it's it's fucking insane. Like, there's never been there's never been a crossover like like this Smash Bros. The, the number of characters that made it in. I mean, I mean, seeing Cloud and Sephiroth in in, in Smash Bros. is is pretty fucking cool. Yeah, um, Dragon like, Quest Hero, fucking yeah. Banjo's in there. Banjo, yeah, Banjo's a great addition. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of really great additions to that roster. That as a kid. Like, if I was 12 and saw that, you know, Cloud was getting added to Smash Bros. Melee, which I was playing at the time, I would have been fucking over the moon for that. So, um, yeah, lots of really cool shit. I think the game, like, they released some statistics alongside that presentation with, like, how many hours of online matches and stuff there had been, and it was staggering the amount of time people have spent playing Smash Bros. worldwide. So, it's clearly a success. Like, um, yeah, it was a cool little send-off for the game. I'd say, you know, it was definitely an achievement. Um, it did make me kind of want to go back and play it again, but for me, Smash Bros. is very much a play it at home with friends, and there's not really anybody that wants to play with me anymore, so. So, uh, I don't have any friends. <laughs> um, yeah, but no, it was, it was cool. So, Sora is the final Smash fighter, so no more speculating on who it's going to be. Sorry, all the Waluigi fans out there. I feel your pain. I was holding up for Juno, but in my heart, I knew there was no hope. Dude, Super Mario <laughs> RPG has been completely like relegated to the waste bin of history. I think, unfortunately, as far as, as, far as Nintendo is concerned, it doesn't exist. Um, I don't know if there's like some weird rights issue with with Square or something, um, especially with like Mallow and Gino as characters. I have a feeling that Nintendo just might not have access to them. That's possible. Um, uh, when you were saying it took eight years for Sora, I mean, who knows what the license negotiations are like between Nintendo and Square. Yeah, true. Um, I, I was still really surprised Mega Man was in there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I got to wonder. I wonder who actually owns the new creations for Super Mario RPG. Because, I mean, I, can you imagine seeing Mallow or, or Frog from Chrono Trigger? They would have been, like, great goofy fits for Dude. the Smash universe. Yeah, those the Frog, I didn't even thought of Frog. Frog from Chrono Trigger would have been incredibly good. Or, or Robo would have been great. Yeah, absolutely. Love to see that. Um, yeah, I, I'm just a little... The, the, I think one reason I'm bummed on, on Sora is just it's another sword fighter. <laughs> yes, yeah, and that was definitely a complaint that I saw online lots. Too many sword fighters in the Smash game. Oh, yeah, and it's not a bad final reveal there was a lot of people asking for it i guess so yeah yeah i'm sure i'm sure tons of excited people out there so kudos to you guys congratulations you stuck it out sora is here <laughs> you can masturbate to your little heart's contents um <laughs> i'm assuming that's why people play those games weird fetishes for big footed people but that's why photo mode's a thing man yes yes very good yeah. <laughs> all right um that's basically all i've got as far as news anything else you wanted to talk about or plug before i kick you off the podcast john that's it for me. That's it for you. Okay, well, John, next time we'll probably be talking to you from prison. Um, 
Or we'll be in prison together, I guess, if you've implicated me in your scheme. So that'll be great. Look forward to a, a much worse audio quality two weeks from now. That's why I did it. And that way we can record in the same room. Ah, clever. Clever girl. Okay. Well, have a, a wonderful rest of spooky month, everyone. Happy Halloween. And uh, we'll chat at you guys in a couple weeks. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Branching Path Podcast. Check us out on Twitter at BranchPathPod or just search Branching Path Podcast. Check out our subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash branchingpathpodcast. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and on our RSS website, which is rss.com slash branchingpathpodcast. Thanks again for listening. Take care.